Broadcasting from within the borders of the greatest success story the world has ever known, the United States of America. It's time for an honest discussion from a fresh, new conservative voice. C.L. Bryant Show. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known, and that is the United States of America. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming along with us as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation right here over Red State Talk Radio, Encore, the largest talk platform in the nation, daily the C.L. Bryant Show is the show you're listening to. I am C.L. Bryant, and I want to thank you again for being here with us. Hey, listen, folks, um, I want to make certain that you know that if you don't get both hours of the show, be sure to download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your iPhones or favorite devices, and all the shows are cataloged there, and be sure to go there and listen to the shows. If you're traveling through Times Square... Look up above Ripley's, believe it or not, and the Red State Talk billboard is there. And every hour, uh, the C.L. Bryant show does cycle through for about 15 minutes. And uh, old C.L.'s face is looking right back at you there. Follow us uh, at Rev, at Rev, R-E-V, C.L. Bryant on Twitter, or just go to the website, the C.L. Bryant show. Dot com. Before we get to our first guest, I want to uh, pay homage to someone who I had met nearly 30 years ago now in another life as president of the NAACP in Garland, Texas, where I had dealings with uh, his flagship company, E-Systems, there in Dallas, Texas. Ross Perot, a visionary of his time uh, before Trump uh, was, there was Perot, and I do believe that uh, he he did pave the way for a candidate like Trump to come along and, of course, challenge and in some ways overcome the establishment. In the second hour, we're going to be dealing with uh, Ross Perot and how political historians may actually view him in the years to come. Gone at 89 years of age. Godspeed, Ross Perot. Um, I want to bring on now an author of a book that I'm sure will be insightful and impactful on the American landscape. It is called From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby. Catherine Galloway is my guest. Help me welcome to the show for the first time. Catherine Galloway, thank you so much for being on the C.L. Bryan Show. How are you, friend? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into uh, the discussion here about your new work, uh, Through the Eyes of a Freedom, the Freedom Baby. Catherine, tell the audience, um, what was the genesis, the catalyst for this story that you have now put in print? Well, 
I, the genesis of this story is based around my father and the work that he put out in Selma, Alabama back in the 1950s. He was one of the civil rights leaders who actually started and founded the civil rights movement there in Selma, Alabama. So I am the freedom baby because when I was being carried in my mother's stomach, 1965, my father and mother were big activists and big leaders there in Selma marching for all rights, equal rights, rights to vote, women's rights. So my father played a major role in the movement. He was one of the leader pioneers who actually pulled together to make the movement happen and actually completed the movement. Again, you know, folks, uh, in our film, in our my film, Runaway Slave, we document Bloody Sunday there on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. Uh, Catherine, I'd like to ask you this question because many people, especially here in these modern times, don't understand uh, what times were like in America then, let alone Selma, but in America then, as opposed to now. We have a lot of young people who uh, say that they're angry about uh, mistreatment as far as race and that type thing is concerned, civil rights is concerned. Give us your opinion on just how far we have come and just how different America is for black Americans in particular uh, than it was uh, then uh, when your father and mom were launching the civil rights movement in Selma. Uh, Speaking uh, for my three siblings who integrated the school in Selma, Alabama, they were the first three students to integrate the school there in Selma. Uh, The changes from then to now is very different. I didn't go through what my students went through, but by the time I started school there in Selma, I only went there from the first grade. So by that time, things were changing a lot. They were not as bad as they were before my siblings. So I would say that things have changed tremendously. Uh, There's still a long way to go, but things have changed tremendously because back then we had to where my siblings, they paved the way so that the blacks and whites would get along. Now we don't have that problem. I went to a predominantly white school in Andalusia, Alabama, and I didn't have any racism whatsoever to affect me going to that school. And I had three other siblings that were under me that went to that school as well. So it made a very big impact, and it has made a very big turnaround to where it was back in the 60s when my siblings integrated the school and when I started school, because I see a very difference, and I was able to be in musical drama class, even being the only black student in the musical drama class, I had no racism towards me. So yes, I did see a difference in what my siblings told me of what they went through and from what I went through. And so I I think that there is a change. And I've seen the change myself. You know, what's amazing, uh, many times when I tell my children uh, the story, I'm about, um, I'm several years older than you. I remember drinking from the black uh, water fountains, black only water fountains, colored only water fountains, riding on the back of the bus. Uh, when I was young, I was nine years old when the Civil Rights uh, Acts were signed, 64, 65. And I, I remember those times. But these days, when you tell people about those young people in particular, uh, they seem to get angry. 
but they there's not really a connection to that type of racism. When we talk about Alabama, uh, I want to ask you this question about Alabama and the South. Many people who are not from the South, and I'm from Louisiana, uh, and they they have this misconception about even us as black people in the South. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you experience what I'm saying? I do. Could you, I do. Could you, could you comment on that? I, um, let's see, how do I want to put this? Me being black and raised in Alabama, I think when we go to talk about racism, it's an open, it's an eye opener. And I think that we as black people are just as racism as the white people. That's how I look at it. Because me being born and raised in Alabama, we as blacks have our same hiccups, the same as the white side of it. That's my point of, the, of what I was thinking. I see that we as black people have our racism problems going against the white, just like the whites have their racism problems going against the black. I saw it on both sides. Think we have our issues just like they have their issues. That's how I look at it. That's how I view it. You know, that's, I have my own it's I have a, my own hiccups and my own problems with racism and, and me being racism against some white people. And I have to be honest with you on that. And that's something that I have to work on. So I don't fall under the umbrella to where I feel like white people are just the racism people and black people are not because I have my own racism myself against the white people. That is very, very honest. And that is exactly the conversation that need to be had in this country at this time, folks. Uh, Catherine, I understand that you are unashamedly a, a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you this. Do you think that the race problem, the racism problem and the racist attitudes that exist uh, in, is a part of us being human rather than us being Americans? having come out of a slave past that many times I feel, as you, you stress so well, this is my opinion. And that's what we do here, folks, is build the bridge to conversation so that we can talk about this. Because if we don't talk about it, we're not going anywhere. We're, we're not making any headway. And so that that's why I, I'd like to have guests like Catherine Galloway, who is the author of the new book, From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby, on with me so that we can discuss this in the first person. She can discuss it first person from her family experience. I can discuss this first person from personal experience, uh, the way the South was then, the way it is now. Catherine, does our Christianity, should it not affect the way we view our fellow man, whether it's race or whatever it is? Talk to us about that. I think our Christianity should our way we view uh, our fellow Americans because God sees no color. And I think when you are full of God and you live like God, God is love, first of all. And love is an action word. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter regardless of your race or what you believe in. I feel that when you know what is right and you know God knows what's right, then you should go and always believe in and stick to your truth. Because it's, it's, a, it's like what's going on now today. We look at everything that's going on 
some things we know is not right within the Bible, and some things we know are wrong within the Bible. But for us to actually agree with it, we want to leave that out. Well, you can't be on the Christian base and write your own Bible. You can't write what's right and what's wrong when it only when you're getting the benefit from it. I think it's true when you feel that you know, even though those persons, the people that you are for, is going against something that you know is not right, then it's the Christian in you to speak up about it and tell them, even if you don't like the person, that you and I both know that that is not right in God's eyes. If you're a Christian, no matter what you think about that person, you should stick with what is right. You should stick with what, what is right. And I guess I could give you an example on it. I am a big believer on, I've been watching everything that's been going on with the pro-life about whether or not you should have the right to abort a baby and all of that. Me being raised in a Christian home, I know everybody have their own choice of how they want to do things in their life. I do not believe in abortion. I do not believe in it. I have a daughter myself. She went to high school and I told her, the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. I don't believe in abortion. I don't think that it's something that we should do. Although I don't believe in making choices for everybody else because we always have to answer to God for what we do and the choices that we make. But I have to go with what I know is right. And so when I have a discussion with certain people and I say, well, I agree with him when he said, and I mean in the president, when we're saying that, we should not have people going around just having abortion just because I agree with that. Because if you're a Christian and you say you're a Christian, you know right from wrong. You know that that's murder. Absolutely. And we know one of the Ten Commandments. We know the Ten Commandments. Know them. Absolutely. Absolutely. My guest is Catherine Galloway, the author of the new book, From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby. And uh, Catherine, we, in this segment, I only have about five minutes left, but I want you to stay with me uh, through the break if you possibly can, because there are several things that I'd like to cover with you. Uh, now I'd like to ask you about uh, your friendships once you found out or once you were in uh, the integrated schools out of the first grade. Now you're in the integrated schools growing up there in Alabama. And this is some insight that uh, people need. Did you have, quote, unquote, white friends? Did you develop those types of friendships? And um, there's a reason why I'm asking this question. Catherine. Yes, I'm here. Yes, did uh, did you did you develop friendships with white kids as you were growing up there in the integrated schools? Talk to us about that. Oh, absolutely, I did. I I, did. I had plenty of white friends. I was one of the main little little black girls in the musical drama department, and I had a very close friend, Deanne which I still right now on Facebook connect with her right now to this day. And I had many white friends, and so did my siblings. I just went back to my hometown of Andalusia, Alabama, and they we had a very big book signing there in Andalusia, Alabama, and in Selma. And I went back to my musical drama teacher, and she had retired, and she's a white teacher. 
and I asked her, would it be possible if the high school musical drama students would join me on my book tour to actually sing some of my songs that I rewritten that my father wrote along and go along with me to travel with me to sing along with me. The school set it up and they performed with me on several events with me. So to say that I did not have any white friends while I was going to school in Alabama, that would not have happened for me if I did not. If I did not have any friends there, if I didn't make an impact in an all-white school where there was only several of those that were black that was going to that school. So, yes, I had plenty of white friends that I went to school with and made with. And they all came to the book sign and they all participated. So, yes, I did. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and because and, and the reason, as I told you, folks, the reason I want to ask that question again, going back to this idea that we as black people in the South, we're the ones who are, who are disconnected from uh, what race and all that is about, uh, as opposed to somebody from New York or Chicago or California. Folks, I am telling you, and I say this often wherever I speak across the country and hey, you folks up in Toledo, I'll be headed toward you. Uh, in um, on this weekend. The the healing for this country, Catherine, I do believe will come from people like you and myself uh, who came from the South and have uh, understood the relationship that people have with one another, regardless of the color of their skin. Uh, I say this uh, often. And and when we come back after the break, Catherine, stay with me after, uh, after through this break if you can because when when we come back we want to talk about what uh, you alluded to we as southerners black or white we have uh, more in common than just about any other group of blacks or whites throughout the United States and I'll tell you why we eat the same foods we believe God basically the same we have the same values Uh, southern people uh, white or black we believe what's right and what's wrong basically the same way and and, and so uh, I want to talk with Kathy Catherine Galloway, when I come back, she is the author of From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby. And we're going to let you know how you can get a hold of this book yourself when the C.L. Bryant show returns Uh, at the top of the next hour after the news hour. We're going to um, examine the life of Ross Perot before there was Trump. There was Ross Perot, who was taking on the establishment even then. Got a chance to meet him and actually uh, do some, uh, well, I'll say consulting with his company there at E-Systems in Dallas, Texas, when I was president of the NAACP in a former life. And uh, he was uh, only stood five foot five, very short man, but he was a Texas giant. I'm CL. This is the CL Bryant show throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. The many Thousands of you listening across the nation. Don't you go anywhere. We're going to return in just a few minutes. Building the bridge to conversation daily right here on Red State Talk Radio. Follow me on Twitter at Rev C L Bryant. We're on with Catherine Galloway.
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. CL back with you on this great day in the USA. And it will remain. There are people like you who, in fact, stand up for the principles of America. Course, endorse the free market system. My guest is Catherine Galloway. She is the author of the her latest work, uh, From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby. And when we left, uh, Catherine, I was wanting to engage you here in conversation on the idea of healing for America. Uh, people don't understand. I know you understand exactly what I have just said about healing in America and how uh, folks don't see that blacks in the South and blacks in the North or blacks in the South and whites in the North and in the South actually have more understanding of how to get along with one another than others uh, in Chicago or or New York or, or California uh, have an understanding of. Is that an accurate statement, Catherine? Can you speak to that? Yes, that is an accurate statement, and I can speak to that because I spent 20 years in Washington, D.C. I lived there for 20 years. I just moved to Florida about five years ago. So yes, I can I can detest to that because the simple fact is is when you speak to a lot of the people when I was in the Baltimore, Maryland area and the Washington D C area and you would speak on things that happened in the South, a lot of the blacks in the north couldn't even relate. They could not even they couldn't even come close to the things that I would speak upon that my father sat down with me and talked with us about when he moved from Washington, D.C. himself back in 1954 down to Selma, Alabama, because my father was also born and raised in the Danville and Washington, D.C. area. So he was a northern himself. So he went from the north to the south himself. So he saw the difference. But yes, I can actually, I, I agree with you on that. The blacks in the south and the the north to me they're very different as far as when it comes to seeing the racism thing i really i agree with you on that let me ask you this because you mentioned this and and i, I certainly want to bring this up to the forefront and uh, i think we have on today uh folks so someone who can actually deal with this uh, uh from not only a perspective of a woman but also a black woman who has seen the effects of abortion which i you know i feel it's an evil uh in our nation and an evil a blight on mankind Catherine, how is it possible that black folks have embraced 
this certain evil. In my film, uh, Runaway Slave, you can get it on Amazon Prime, watch it in your own uh, home uh, there. How is it possible that 43% of abortions come from 13% of the population. How did we get led down this path? Was there a failure in our churches, the black pastor, the black community? What happened in your opinion? I think what happened was is that we stopped listening to the leaders. You know, we always called our pastor's wives first lady. Right. And I think the first ladies are failing on their role compared to when my mom and them were first lady. That's the first thing I think is happening. Because if you remember when you you were you were born and raised down south and you were going to a black church. Back when my mothers and my grandmothers were first ladies, if a young lady walked in the church with her skirt even above her knees, they would they were pulled aside and talked to and told why it was important that our dress be below our knees. It wasn't because we were showing a lot of leg or anything. It was because everything is, your body is sacred. So you're saving things for later in life when you're married with your husband. It was things that the first lady taught us and told us back then to kind of make us understand the importance of things. I think where we're failing at on this is that our first ladies, the mothers that we look up to, that's that's why we're failing and going into that following of now we believe in the abortion thing. Because back then we was having teen pregnancy, just like we're having it now in the black community. It's no different. But the difference now is that you're having a lot of influences that are coming in that doesn't have any spiritual background. It's telling these, these young black mothers and young black teens that are getting pregnant that it's okay to abort a child. When you know back in the day, they didn't believe in that. They did not believe it. You're absolutely right. So I think it's, you're, you're, I think it's more failure of the mothers in the neighborhoods, the first ladies in the neighborhoods, the pastor's wives. They're failing on their job. That's wow. I believe. Wow. That is, uh, you know what? I, I don't believe that I've ever heard anyone uh, uh, explain it in that way as far as failure from the elderly women, the, the, the women who, who used to, my mom, your mom, uh, who used to do that. I have seen my mother and some of the church sisters uh, pull a young lady aside that may be somewhat, as we deemed inappropriate back then, uh, for church. And you said something else, Catherine, that I think is very, very very important. And and that is that uh, when we look at this situation of abortion, there, there's always been abortion uh, everywhere. Whites, blacks, we've always. But the, the difference is we didn't kill the baby. Uh, I, I remember that sometimes a, a cousin might get pregnant or, or something like that. She, all of a sudden she goes, uh, she disappears up to Detroit or Chicago or somewhere like that. And all of a sudden, Aunt Lucy has a new baby. And and Mary yes, com- and Mary comes home, you know, and, and, and that's that's some yes, yeah you you remember that that type of thing. Catherine, yes, tell us how to get a hold of your work. Um, you can get a hold of my work if you would just Google Catherine Galloway, 
and everything will come up. I'm on social media. I might, I'm actually through the Christian Faith Publishing Company. So if you would just Google Kathleen Galloway, you will be able to actually follow me. You will be able to be able to get hold to my book because my book is available, Barnes and Nobles, Books for Millions, Amazon, and my music is as well. So you can reach me if you would just Google Kathleen Galloway. Everything will come up, and you will be able to get any information about me or any of my documents of my work that I have been doing. Be sure to do that, folks, and uh, let's get a real good look at From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby. Why then did you call yourself the Freedom Baby, Catherine Galloway? My father named me the Freedom Baby because when the Civil Rights Movement was going on, because I was born March 30th, 1965. The last march that my mom marched and participated in was Bloody Sunday. She was on that bridge that day with me in her stump. She survived that that uh, actual bloody sunny event with no hurt to her or no harm to her with her other children. I was then, there was four, five children born before me. Those five children was on that bridge with her, and I was carried in her belly. So when my father arrived back home, my mom told him, I tell you what, I don't know what gave me the strength to be able to run with this baby in my belly, me being nine months, but this child must be a freedom baby. That's how <laughs> I came about. So I was born, which my father did that entire march from Selma to Montgomery. My mother wanted to do it, but because they were on baby watch with me, she could not do the march. So my father did the march from Selma, the entire march from Selma to Montgomery. When he got back home on the 25th, I was born five days later. So in that hospital, my father then named me the Freedom Baby. So that's how I got that name. Wow. We share birthday months. In fact, uh, you're born two days after my birthday, the 28th of March, about nine years later, than, or nine years earlier yeah. than, than you. And. Wow. Uh, and Catherine, many people, for those of you who may not understand or remember what the march from Selma to Montgomery was all about, it was about voting rights. Uh, we simply wanted to uh, march for the right to vote. And here these days, uh, we see a lot of people who don't vote. Catherine, talk to us about why, uh, and this is from the mouth of the Freedom Baby now, why it is important for Americans, especially black Americans, to understand that their vote does indeed count. Talk to us about that. You know, I always tell, and I saw with my own family, you, I always tell them, your vote counts because you're on this earth. You're part of America. So if you get up every day and you go to work, it's something that's going on within your job that you can make a change about if you were going out to vote. Because people think that it's just when you're going out to vote, you're just voting for the president. It narrows down to more than that. And I tell, I saw with my own nieces, my own nephews, when they all come out of high school, I let them know it is very important to get to let your voice be heard. You cannot be heard if you're not participating. So it is important that if you're voting, you have a right to everything that you believe in. You can make a difference if you're voting. You can change things if you're voting. And you also have to think about what your ancestors and your mom, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunties, they all fought for, for you to have that right. They didn't go through that for you to have that right to think that, oh, it wasn't important. 
it was important so you can have a say in everything in your life. You're your own destiny. So to me, I think if you want something changed, use your voice. Vote. That's what that voting is about. It does matter. It counts. Every vote counts. I, I go out every year. Every year, I go to the colleges, the high schools. I go out to the youth to make them know, listen, you're coming out of high school. Listen, you're turning 18. It is very important that you register to vote. It is important that you have your voice heard. You may not need it now. You may need it 10 years from now. But if you're already in the system and you're voting, you can pretty much know what comes against you and you're able to fight against it if something happens and you're aware of things. Being aware is everything. You Being know, unaware of not knowing what's going on is not everything. You know, Catherine, uh, when I hear you speak and I now know your story, even the story of you being on the Edmund Pettus Bridge with your mom in her womb, in her belly, uh, I, I can I can hear the voice of your father, your mother and our ancestors as they did uh, march across that bridge headed for uh, Montgomery, Alabama from Selma. And uh, I, I hear I, I can hear that in your voice. And the reason that I am I'm, I'm mentioning that is this. And I only have about six minutes left in this segment. And if you can possibly stay with me through just a portion of the, the last segment of this hour, uh, I have a, a very important question to ask you uh, as well. And uh, but but let me ask you this. Are you saying then when you're talking about voting that uh, we should become involved in our school boards, our city councils, uh, you know, com- commissioner seats, Absolutely. those types of things? Talk to us about Absolutely. it. I think it's very important that you get involved with your school board, with your students. I, I was just, I live in a small town outside of Orlando, Florida, which is Eustis, Florida, which is in between Umatilla and Deland. I don't know if anybody knows these areas. I am. But I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I'm from, Ta- I, I uh, lived in Tampa for many years. Okay, so you're familiar with Eustis and Umatilla and Deland. I'm in the area where Apopka, Mount Dora. I go in all of these areas and I speak to the youth. And I don't mean just black youth. I speak to the youth, meaning every nationality there is. When the voting was going on between, I think it was the governor's race uh, with um, Andrew Gillum was running for race uh, for the governors down here. And I went to a lot of the neighborhoods where there was highly populated of your more, your trailer parts, your Hispanic areas, your lower income areas. And I spoke to a lot of the younger people. And you know, they told me that I was the first person that they had ever had to come down in those areas to talk to them about how important it is to vote. And I told them, you know, you should get involved because you can change things that go on right in your township. There are things that you can change right here in your area, meaning that you can go to and when they have the council meetings, you can go to them, attend them, find out what's going on. If you if you if you got someone that's working late at night, a daughter that's working late at night, and there's not any street lights on that street, and you're afraid that something may happen to her because it's very dark on that street and nobody can see her, that's the reason why you need to go and have your voices heard. That's what the vote is about as well. You can vote to where you can get someone in there to get the proper street light on your street. 
That's why you have to go in and explain to the younger youth what everything, the whole picture of going down to the little bit pieces of voting. People think that it's just about the presidency until you start breaking it down to where it's the smaller government ship needs to be be voted on as well. So I think it's very important that all of that plays a major role in voting. You know, um, Catherine, uh, take about take this last three minutes of this segment before we come back from the break. Tell us a little bit about your father. What kind of man was he? He was a truth teller. He was a truth teller. He was a God fearing, truth telling man. He walked the word of the Bible. He saw no color. My father was fair to everyone. He believed in the rights for everyone. My father never took sides. My father was friends with everybody, black and white. Some of his best friends were white ministers, were white owners that owned businesses in the Alabama area. My father actually was one of the main uh, piano tunists in the whole central part of Alabama, all because he went out and made relationships with the white business owners, not the blacks, the white business owners. And then he also brought in a lot of our black men who would have never done that. So my father saw no color. My father always gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. He never treated this one unfairly against the other. He was just a fair man, a true, godly, fair man. That's who my father was. All of you dads out there, uh, you should only pray and hope that your child remembers you in that fashion. Uh, God knows I have three daughters and a son, and uh, I certainly pray that when it's all said and done, and I'm uh, going home to my reward, that my children will remember me in the way that this daughter has remembered her father. I'm on with Catherine Galloway, the author of the newly released book, From the Eyes of the Freedom Baby. And you're listening to the CL Bryant show. We're going to hear again how you can get a hold of Through the Eyes of a Freedom Baby when we return after the break. After the news hour, we'll uh, actually examine the life of someone who I had met on a couple of occasions. Met Ross Perot. Uh, I was uh, a liaison from the NAACP, being a president of the NAACP back in the late 80s, Garland, Texas. And uh, there were issues with all big companies like his on employment and so we had to talk about some things and I found him to be a man who was a visionary. Without parole I don't really think that the ground may have been paved for a Donald Trump and I think parole may have actually <laughs> done that. We'll talk about it uh, when we return with more of the C.L. Bryant show. Our special guest is Catherine Galloway traveling through New York City Times Square. Look up above of Ripley's Believe It or Not, the Red State Talk billboard is there. And every hour, the C.L. Bryant Show, 24 hours a day, does cycle through there for about 15 seconds. And old C.L.'s face is looking right back at you. We're going to be back with more of the show. Download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your favorite device. Go to the website, theclbryantshow.com. We'll be back with Catherine Galloway. You thought I was- 
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. I do the best I can. Always lend a helping hand. And for the flag I stand. That is D-Rock's, D-Rock's latest release, I Am an American. And uh, I was uh, fortunate enough, blessed to lend my voice to the opening of that song. Pick it up wherever music is sold. Uh, I know it was played loud and proud uh, this past Independence Day that has just gone by. My guest today is Catherine Galloway, who is the author of the newly released book, from the eyes of the freedom baby, a name that her father uh, gave to her upon her birth there uh, in Alabama after her mom had carried her in her womb, on her, in her belly, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on a Sunday that has gone down in history known as Bloody Sunday as black people. And there were some whites on that bridge as well, <laughs> marching with uh, the black people from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, wanting to secure voting rights. Uh, Catherine is my guest. And Catherine, listening to you tell your story and in the way that you tell your story, uh, I know that there are many people who may be progressive liberals, as they are called, and uh, certainly in, in the community and in black, in black people who may not agree with the way you are, are telling it and the way you uh, express your opinion. Do you get that type of pushback? I know that I do. Uh, so tell us your experience with that uh, aspect of doing what you do. Um, I would have to say that I get that pushback from not not even people out here, but my own family. Wow. And so And so did my father. So when you are speaking the truth, there's always going to be strikes thrown back at you because anything that's great is always going to be something coming at you in order to keep you from getting to that point. Because if it's not great, they're not going to fight you or resist you on it. So I get that a lot from my own family because I speak upon what I know my father would do and what he would say. 
And you know what, Catherine, when I when I hear you uh, saying it, I remember uh, there's a portion again, folks, if you, you haven't had a chance to see the award winning film, groundbreaking film, Runaway Slave, you can get it on Amazon Prime if you have your smart TV apps uh, loaded up. Amazon Prime Runaway Slave documentary. It's a movie that uh, I, I made uh, five years ago now that did express what you are saying, uh, Catherine, about how we as black folks and, 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 and many times you liberals out there, you're a victim of this too. you white liberals out there. You are victims of this, too. Uh, Catherine. Is it so that uh, is it true that uh, sometimes people can believe something for so long that uh, if anybody comes around saying something different uh, than what they have been told for so long? Is is that one of the reasons why you think uh, folks, uh, whoever they may be, push back against uh, a a message that's true? Talk to us. Absolutely. Um, when you, I think I can use an example of uh, pretty much with the civil rights movement. I'll start there. When you start to bring in out the truth of what really took place and the pioneers of who really put the work out there, there's always someone that's going to say that the story is not true. But w- of course, they've heard it for so long. They've read it for so long. So when you come out and you step out on faith and you bring out the truth, you you just get this pushback of that's not true. She's making that up. The thing that I, I guess the question that you asked me was, do I get someone, especially with them hearing something that they've been hearing for so long, do do I get a pushback on now that I'm out here with this truth of what my father told me and I've written about it? Do I get people to come at me and say that this didn't happen or that didn't happen? Of course I do. But one thing we do know that did happen, that a lot of times everything is in God's timing. We all know that. Everything is in God's timing. So I feel that with me putting out this story about my father, it corrects a lot of things that need to be told. Eventually, the truth always is revealed. It's always revealed. So I just feel like the truth the truth has to be told, and that's the reason why I wrote this book. Even though I've, I've already had a couple of people that come at me to say that certain things were not true. But then when you have did your homework and you have did your research and you have worked with the people that you knew were there with your father, even the ones that are deceased after you have interviewed them, it's kind of hard for them to kind of fight against me when I know that this story has never been told, but it needs to be told because they have been known for so long that this was what they know. They're going to stick with what they know. And then when they hear something new, they kind of want to question it. It's kind of hard to be able to fight against that. But when you know and you have the faith, that's what faith is being on. You know that eventually the truth will reveal itself. So, yes, I have. Yes, you can go ahead. 
You know, I um, I wish that I had uh, had the opportunity to uh, and the privilege to meet your father. Knew many in the civil rights struggles, uh, Reverend Abernathy and uh, Andrew Andy Young, and and of course Julian Bond. Uh, uh, but this is what I want to take the time to do here in the the last uh, few minutes that we have. I I've pastored three churches from California to uh, Florida and back here to Louisiana. And I I think a preacher's kid, as you are and my children are, can talk about this in in ways that that maybe other people uh, can't approach because they haven't lived in the fishbowl that preachers and preachers' families live in. You know, people, you know, they put you in a fishbowl. But but this is one thing that you know growing up in the black tradition of the church, that the pastor was basically the, the, the leader, the chief in that community and 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 people followed what he had to say about it uh our pastors you spoke about the first ladies of the church uh, let's talk now about the role that pastors in this present time should be doing because it seems that so many of their congregations are being led astray or do you have voices like your fathers and reverend abernathy's uh anymore in this country? i know that they're there but i want to hear what you got to say about uh how they should stand up because i don't see a a lot of them standing up for the right thing. Talk to us about it. I, I think the pastors of today, a lot of them is too commercialized now. And I think that a lot of them are more about how many photo ops they can get, how much, how much of a mega church they can get, how many members they can get. So where they've forgotten how to be leaders. And I think they've forgotten the job of Things fall apart when we don't have a leader and a strong leader that believes. So to me, I, I just think that the way my father and them were ministers back in the day, the men that raised me and raised my siblings and raised all of the, the children in the community around me, the, the reverends didn't fall for little things. They stood for what they believed in. Where I see a lot of ministers now, they fall for anything just to, just to benefit for themselves. It's not about the people anymore. It's about them. And I see a lot of ministers being that way versus the ministers back when I was being raised and back in the day. I just I, I think the ministers today are more about them and more and less about the people. You know, I want to I want to thank you and I applaud you for having the courage to have a voice. And folks, whether you agree or disagree with Catherine or myself, it's the conversation that must be had. And if we're not having the conversation, then, folks, we're spinning our wheels. Only thing we're doing is shouting at each other instead of talking to one another. As Catherine Galloway, who is the author of the newly released book, From the Eyes of of the Freedom Baby. Catherine, tell us one more time how uh, the audience across the Fruited Plains can get a hold of your work. You can get a hold of my work through uh, Books of Millions, Barnes and Nobles, uh, on Amazon. Uh, if you want to get any of my information about me, and I also have my foundations, which is the Freedom Baby, you the foundation, you can Google Catherine Galloway, or you can email me at Catherine Galloway, the Freedom Baby at AOL.com. 
And hey, folks, I got to tell you, it has been um, delightful talking to her today. Catherine, this was the first time that you were on with me and my producer, Michelle. She uh, told me about you and uh, I, I haven't met you. I'm in Alabama a lot. Just left Huntsville a few months ago uh, speaking there, right there near the uh, Space Center. And uh, I certainly mm-hmm. look forward to uh, meeting you in person somewhere along the trail. Again, I'll let you know when I'll be coming to Alabama and maybe uh, I, we can hook you up with some of the uh, events that I uh, come to as well uh, as I speak across the nation. And so I want to thank you for being on with us and fight the good fight. Continue to fight the good fight. I know that you will because you are, in fact, it's in your DNA. You can't help but uh, fight the fight. And again, thank you for being on with me. God bless you and God keep you, Catherine Galloway. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. God bless you as well. I'm CL. This is the CL Bryant Show. My special guest today, Catherine Galloway. And you know me, I normally don't keep people on for uh, the full hour, but uh, hearing it from someone who can talk the talk like you hear me talk the talk. And I give you my perspective as a black man who grew up in the South. Right. I mean, I grew up in the South. Uh, Google me. (laughs) C.L. Bryant. I grew up in the South. And so I'm not speaking from a perspective like Al Sharpton. Okay, who grew up in New York. I'm not speaking uh, from that perspective. I'm speaking from someone who has actually drank from the colored only water fountains written on the back of the bus have been called. Yes, the N word by someone who knew how to say it with the authority. It was meant to uh, be used on uh, uh, someone who was they felt was lesser than them. But I have always seen and I have seen the evolution of this nation. And to all of you young black people, and I know that I have many of you who listen to this show, I am saying to you that you stand on the shoulders of people like Catherine's father. Download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your iPhone or Android device. Listen live daily from 12 p.m. in the East until 2 p.m. in the East daily. Follow me on Twitter at Rev at Rev C.L. Bryant. And of course, go to our website and uh, like us there. V.C.L. Bryant Show dot com. When we come back, we got to talk about an American icon. He, he truly was a business icon. Icon Got a chance to interact with him on a couple of occasions when I, as president of the NAACP in Garland, Texas, a totally different life uh, and political belief for me at that point in time, did uh, have to negotiate a couple of employment disputes that they had there at E-Systems. Weekday afternoons, rub shoulders with trusted voices of truth and insight. The American Mutso Show with Eric Mutsos. The Read Hour with Lawrence W. Reed. Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. The Liberty Effect with Ammon Bundy. And Stranger Than Fiction with Ralph DeLugas. Right here on the Loving Liberty Radio Network.